HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin, and you are once again listening to Greenhorns Radio, this time coming to you from Heritage Radio in Brooklyn. And I'm in the Hudson Valley of New York, and I'm joined by Mackenzie, who's coming to us from the not-quite-suburbs of Baltimore. Hi, Mackenzie. Hey, Severin. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's a nice time of year. How's the weather down there? It has been so, so nice. It's kind of incredible because we had, like, you know, two or three months full of just rain, and this past weekend has been glorious, blue skies, warm weather, so it's nice. Yeah, those simple things. Today I was doing a lot of moving fences, and it's one of those oh, things yeah. that, oh, <laughs> man, when it's gorgeous weather and you're just walking around moving fences, it makes it very, it makes a very nice space for your mind. Yeah, yeah, it's not so bad. We were doing fences, like, in the 100, above 100-degree 100 heat this summer, except we moved, so it was not so pleasant. <laughs> Tell us what's going on with you guys there at your homestead and what's been going on. Uh, in Baltimore? Well, um, we've kind of been just getting back into the Baltimore scene. Um, we were pretty involved with them last year, but that's because we were living in a different place and we had more time, but we moved in July, and it's just been kind of nonstop craziness here um, because we have five new animals, and, you know, they're all lambs and escape artists, and they like to jump over fences and climb under them and cause lots of ruckus. So it's been kind of chaotic, but we've been getting into the hang of it, and things are kind of settling down now. And, like, today we just 
while we, we started to try to build some stairways up to the garden, but it didn't really work out because the, the saw broke like halfway through. <laughs> so that's all right. Though. So let's just give a little backstory. You're doing um, a homestead, and you're renting land, and you're doing what? Was, what's your day job? Let's start there. And then and what, what's brought you to where you are now? Well, I work at a Montessori preschool, so it's pretty nice. Um, there's a lot of land, not a lot, but there's, you know, a good amount. We can have a garden and chickens. We actually just got the, the ordinance changed this year so we can actually have chickens. Um, so that was pretty cool. And today I, I painted the chicken coop there. and so it's, it's nice. I work part-time there, so I'm not completely stressed out. When we first started trying to do the whole farmer thing, I was working like over 40 hours a week at a grocery store and it sucked. It was horrible and I hated what I was doing. And I was like, I'd go there and I would slice horrible lunch meat for people and then I'd go home and like bang my head up against the wall because I hated it. <laughs> and, you know, that doesn't really give you much motivation for what you're doing outside of work. And so this is far, far better. Far, far better. And didn't you have to get qualified to do Montessori? Doesn't that take a long time to get trained in that? Well, if you want to be a certified teacher, you do. But um, in order to work like as an assistant teacher or in administration, you don't need to be. Um, you do need to take courses every year, um, but all preschools and daycares. And I think, I think upper grades, too, they, they need to take additional training hours every year. And it's based on how many hours you work what your position is. So I'm the assistant director there, and so every day I go in and I, I sit in an office, but it's not a cubicle, thank God, and I get to plan, you know, what the kids do during summer camp and which guests come out, and so it's really nice. I get to kind of, like, tweak their minds in a way, which is fun. <laughs> I get to expose them to things that I think I would have, you know, benefited from if I were exposed to them as a kid. And so you've been working working your way up towards this kind of homestead that you have now. Will you describe a little, like, the trajectory, like how you got interested and then... Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's kind of complicated. I I grew up um, and I my family had a business called Bun Penny. It was like a gourmet kind of food shop, coffee shop. So I grew up around food all my life. But at home it was pretty different. My mom is from the Midwest, and, you know, she grew up in Michigan, like, eating Velveeta cheese. Not that everyone in Michigan eats Velveeta cheese, but, you know, pretty stereotypical. And so I had a pretty bad diet at home, but then when I went to the store, like, it was way better. So I kind of had, like, that basis, I guess. And then um, things kind of got convoluted when I got older, and I was going to go to college, but then that didn't really work out. I, like, failed the second semester that I was taking. Um, because my family shop, like, closed down. And at the very same time, I was moving out for the very first time. And we managed to, like, score this amazing farmhouse somehow. I've got no idea. It was just magic and fate. And it was on two and a half acres. And when we first moved there, I had absolutely no, like, thought of growing food whatsoever. Sorry, I'm out of breath. I'm, like, walking around right now. I just put the birds away. Um, but... Anyway, uh, we had, like, no thought of doing that. And then all of a sudden, um, Jamie, my fiancé, moved in because we were, like, super poor and needed 
somebody else to live there with us. And then Jamie and I found out that we kind of liked each other, and we found out that we had pretty similar interests and that we both kind of hated the system and we were kind of screwed by it. And, you know, like, who wants to go to college and, like, end up in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt? Like, that's just not something that we wanted to do at all. We didn't even have the option, but upon thinking about it afterwards, it just didn't make any sense. So we looked in our backyard one morning when we woke up, and I remember it, like, so clearly. It was, like, 5 in the morning, and we looked out there, and it was, I think it was, like, February, and we just realized that there was so much potential for growing food there. So the next year we had a small garden, and then the year after that, I got kind of insane. I was like, oh, yeah, we can have, like, a 10,000-square-foot garden. And so I had some guy, like, come out and plow it up for me, and we killed it, and then we didn't really think past that. We planted a bunch of stuff, and then the deer ate it completely, everything. And then aside from that, um, the... There was um, Canada thistle infested, like, the entire thing. And I don't know if you know much about Canada thistle, but, like, all thistles in general are pretty invasive. And the only way to kill it is with Roundup, salt, or covering it in six feet of mulch. And that just wasn't an option. And on top of this, we were, like, incredibly poor and working full-time jobs. And we had no car. And we were, like, walking back and forth two miles every day to work. So we were just basically insane and kind of gave up at that point. But kind of there was a twist of fate, and we, we had to move out all of a sudden. Um, our landlord wanted to develop the property. And so we landed ourselves somehow at this tiny little log cabin in the area we live in now. And our landlords had alpacas, and we had alpacas too. We got them on Craigslist. So we were like, all right, good match. So we moved in there, and... I landed the Montessori job, and kind of things fell into place there. The landlords didn't really work out, and there wasn't much potential for having our own farm. Um, and by, like, a year and a half, they were driving us crazy, and we decided to move out, and we found this place after a very, very, very long and trying search. And, like, where we're living right now, it's 25 acres, and there are landlords and, you know, her sisters um, all grew up here. Their family came from Baltimore, um, and during World War II, they grew food um, in the city, and they decided they were going to move out here and start their own farm um, in, I think, the 50s. And so they grew up here for, like, their entire lives, and so they remember it as being, like, this amazing, amazing farm, and they tell us all sorts of stories all the time. But right now, it's not really doing anything. And there's nothing growing other than grass, which is good for the animals, but not much else. Um, so we're kind of, we have a, a blank slate. We're, like, starting over, and it's, it's really exciting. Sorry, that was long. I know. <laughs> My question to you is, do you feel like you ran into bad luck? Do you feel like you had a karmic build-up? Do you feel like you got what you deserved? Do you feel like, uh, what are you, what's the destiny part of this to you? Yeah, I, I, I do feel like there's entirely destiny involved, because... I mean, I think about it now, and I, I really laugh about it because I never thought that I would be a sheep farmer. I never thought I'd have alpacas and want to grow food instead of, like, you know, go to college and get a degree and get a fancy job and a fancy house. Like, that's kind of what you're brought up to think that you want to do. And then that all kind of changed 
all of a sudden, and I don't really know, like I explained it to you how I feel like it happened, but there was obviously so much more than just that. And, and yeah, like it's just magic involved. And that's all, all there really is to it. Like the, there's no reason other than fate that we're where we are right now. So it feels good. It's nice to know that there's like something bigger than us out there whatever that thing may be. Do you have a sense of where you're going to go in the next five years or what's the dream What's the dream right now? Well, right now we want to keep working on the land that we have. I feel like there's a lot of potential here. There's 25 acres, so it's kind of limitless, and, and it just involves us kind of winning over our landlords and making them know that we're not these flakes that, you know, like, talk about doing the things that we want to do but don't actually follow through. And so far, it's going pretty well. And so I think, like, within the next five years, this place could be transformed entirely. I mean, I would like to have... In our front yard, we're kind of working right now on clearing out a lot of ornamental grasses from, you know, the 90s uh, and and a bunch of... Um, I forget what it's called, like, creeping something or other along this hillside. And once we get all that out, that'll be an entire garden. And there's some neighbors that are young like us and interested in the whole growing food thing, and they're moving in right next door in like a month. So I think that combined, um, we'll have a lot of work, hands, and a lot of motivation. And I would like next year to kind of go for the whole farmer's market thing. Um, But in addition to that, there's a lot more to it, like... Like, last year, we kind of started a mini pie-baking business, and it didn't last long because um, Jamie works at another CSA, and she said, yeah, you can bake us some pies, and, and we'll sell them here. You know, and that didn't work out because we realized we had to have li- liability insurance, and that requires having money, and right now, we're kind of, like, just barely scraping by. So I want to take it slow and see where the whole market garden thing could lead us. Um, and I also have a lot of wool I need to process, so I need to learn how to spin and knit, and we'll see how that, how profitable that becomes. I'm not really sure. But we'll just kind of take it, take it where, where it is. I'd like to experiment with meat birds, and I was, I was like, dreaming up an idea of having, um, kind of like a, a meat bird CSA, where you can, like, come and hang out with your chickens and, like, kind of get to know them and then help slaughter them. I think people are really detached from, like, slaughter and, and, and where their food comes from, quite obviously. But you don't want to just, like, send somebody out there to slaughter them without, like, getting to know the animal first. So, I don't know. I think it would be kind of a neat, a neat process for people to become involved in. So, it sounds like you had have a lot, you have a lot of ideas and you had a really yeah. steep learning curve. And you maybe have a sense about that, you know, or even a lesson to teach to somebody who's just getting in and has, like, super excitement mode about Uh the process of getting proficient and getting a plan, skills, plan, infrastructure, process, profitability um, in your farm business. Maybe you could offer, like, your two cents on that for somebody who may also be just super stoked. You could, like, save them the... Save them yeah, the yeah. Like I'll I'll give you a good story, and 
anybody listening who has, like, a queasy stomach might want to stop listening. But the other day, Jamie called me at work, and he screamed over the phone, Nick, our sheep, Nick, has maggots in his testicles. And I had to come home from work right then and pick out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of maggots. And the reason for that is because we just really, we didn't think before, we like didn't do the proper amount of research before we actually got him castrated. And apparently in the veterinary world, there are two theories on castration. Um, one school of thought is that you sew it up after, and the other school of thought is that you don't and you let it close on its own, um, and therefore like any bacteria can drain and not go internal into the body. Um, so Jamie kind of assumed that he, I wasn't there. He was there when he got castrated. Jamie assumed that they had sewn him up, but that was just that assumption, you know, make an ass of yourself. And a week later, you know, he looks down there and it's completely infected. And it turns out we really should have been checking on him like every day, kind of cleaning out with iodine and, and we just hadn't been doing that. So like this poor sheep, <laughs> I feel so bad. Fortunately, he's okay, and we cleaned him out. But, I mean, there's some really gross stuff involved, really, really gross stuff. And it's better to do your research and really, really find out what you're getting into before you do it. It's rewarding, though. I, I mean, there's no way I'm not turning back now. I mean, maggots are like the grossest thing in the world to me, but it's not enough to deter me from keeping on doing what I'm doing. So. They do your well, so two things I would just want to say. There's a um, really great set of books published by Story Publishing, who is also publishing Greenhorn's book. So I have been reading their catalog pretty thoroughly. And they mm-hmm. they have a stories guide to dot, dot, dot. They have stories guide to bees, stories guide to beef. Stories oh, yeah, guide. you know what? I got, the, um, I got the sheep one at the library recently. So <laughs> that was pretty helpful. Definitely, definitely read it, read up. Library, too. I've been rediscovering the library now that we have transportation and um, time. And they have a really, really good variety of books. So Another good read. one is um, ATRA, which is uh, the National Center for Appropriate Technology. They have a Yeah, really yeah. Do you know about them? I, I know about them, but I've actually never done much reading. Well, you, basically, you can go on there, and they have um, a listing of PDFs. And, you know, if you had a Kindle or, um, you know, or, or iPad, or you can print out um, a PDF on your printer, they have, mm-hmm. you know, 17 pages on the culture of organic blueberries and 23 pages on, you know, raising beef uh, organic. Oh, wow. And That's it's pretty... very good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really good one. Another one is um, there's this book called Where There Is No Vet. It's like What is it called? It's called Where There Is No Vet. Where There Is No and Vet. Uh-huh. It's basically like really low-tech um, animal care. That, I want to look into that. <laughs> that's our message. Yeah, it's designed for people who are like working in African villages. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, dealing with not that much tools. Uh, and trying to, you know, address common animal issues. I really like that. Yeah, that's really helpful. There's a book called, um, my favorite book, my favorite book 
It's um, Carla Emery's Guide to Country Living, and the title sounds completely corny. But if, like, we were out of power here for an entire week during the hurricane, and I kept thinking, oh, man, I wish I had the Internet so I could look whatever I needed to look up. But then I remembered this book, and every single question that I had, I was able to answer in this book. And it's written by a lady who just, she, she grew up farming, um, and then she had a farm of her own, and um, she decided that she kind of wanted to write a manual for how to do it, but, you know, how to do it well and, and nicely and, you know, without, you know, breaking your budget. And it's really, it's a great book if you haven't heard of it before. Okay, so now we've covered the literary end of things and your own <laughs> Greenhorn saga getting going. Tell us about, um, I was just, we, were de- we, we saw each other in Baltimore recently, and there was that awesome event um, that you can talk about if you want, or I can talk about it if you don't want to. But tell you us should talk like, about it, because I, about the Baltimore I was only there scene. for that one night, but I was really excited to see your movie. <laughs> um, tell us about the Baltimore farm scene and, and what, what you've been watching go on over there. Well, I, I don't know as much about it as um, a lot of other people down there do, and I'm really hopeful because somebody has to revive the soil down there. And when we when we went and saw the panel before your movie, it was so, so informative, and it really made me realize that there were a lot of very smart people trying to fix things down there. I mean, beforehand, I'll be honest, I mean, I'm kind of pessimistic about the city, and, you know, if this hits the fan, I don't really think it's a place to be. But at the same time, it's not like we can ignore its existence. So it's it's nice to know that there are people that are trying to make a go of it there. And I can't tell everybody that they should leave the city either. Like, I like the country better, but other people like the city more. There's a lot more stuff to do. And, um, I mean, as far as outings go. So it's nice. Um, like, we went to Baltimore Free Farm, which is a pretty cool place um, that's in Hamden. And... They have a work a workshop there. They rent it from a guy, I'm pretty sure, for free or, like, really low cost. And the last I heard, um, they have, like, a, a tool loaning department where they have, like, a whole list online of, like, tools that you can borrow and take out, kind of like a library, which is pretty neat for people who don't have money. And then they also have a shop where, and this is how they kind of generate a little bit of revenue, where they get a lot of, like, used materials, kind of like Craigslist, but for, like, really, really odd things, like 200 feet of, like, sticky, um, you know, those, like, push-bubble packing things, you know, and, and different artists or people just trying to make something creative can go there. And I know across the street they transformed a whole plot of land. I'm sorry, like, I have a cold kind of... They, trans- they transformed a whole plot of land into an amazing garden. And at the very, very top of it, um, there's somebody, I'm pretty sure, with um, like a, a grant is working on an aquaponics project. So there's a lot going on. There are people doing um, greenhouse growing for schools. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible because it needs to happen. And I know, I know um, my, actually my stepmom just worked on a, a program to get um, food stamps accepted at the farmer's market. So a lot, a lot of cool stuff going on. 
and I wish I could do more with it, but it's just, you know, you have to do what you can do. And right now, what we're doing is here. So, it's the best I can do. Well, it's hard to do a full-time job and farm. I'm, I have always that problem with Greenhorns. I feel bad I don't go out with all the community events. And there's <laughs> yeah. so many harvest parties yeah. right now, and I'm just like, ah, I can't go to everything. I know. I mean, you, you're doing a whole traveling around the country thing, too. I don't even know how you do it. So, kudos to you. I don't know, but I'm looking for, like, a Pegasus to take me around. <laughs> driving. Or how about, how about just, um, like, a time warp thing so you can, like, step into... Or Harry Potter's, um, the, the, the fireplace you walk in, and it just, like, takes you to another place automatically. I'd like that. Yeah, and bypass go, all the Walmart and Greyhound buses and go straight from agrarian paradise to agrarian paradise. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Sounds like a plan. Yes, yes. I think we should make that happen. Totally. Let's make it happen. <laughs> uh, I want to make sure to talk about um, if there's any upcoming events that you wanted to point out. Um, you can think about it. I'll talk about Greenhorn's events. Okay, I, I don't really know of any upcoming events in the area. Any? I can't think of any off the top of my head. You know, if okay. you want to come. Um, so I'm going to make <laughs> I'm going to make a couple announcements. Okay. The first one is that uh, Greenhorns is doing a screening. We're doing screenings really hot and heavy these days. So if you've been meaning to check it out, um, you know, keep your keep your nose keep your nose to the scent because, and the scent is our email list and our events page on the website, but so this Thursday we're screening at Yale, and then I'm going west with the movie, uh, oh. San Francisco and Berkeley and Marin, and then, you know, we're doing about six screenings in Oregon, and then about six screenings in Washington State, and then Idaho and New Mexico, um, but there's also some screenings in New York and Boston and there's just a screening in Pittsburgh. If you um, are frustrated that there hasn't been a screening yet in your town or on your campus, get in touch with us. On the website is a form. It says, request a screening. It looks like a little orange arrow. And when you do that, you get entered into our like uh, Excel spreadsheet that then means that Emily calls you and, or Patrick calls you and says, hey, let's do it. So um, <laughs> that's that. Another big announcement to just make is that there's a Beginning Farmer and Rancher Opportunity Act right now. That's a bundle of bills uh, that are part of the Farm Bill and which represent a collaborative, collaborative effort on the part of the National Young Farmer Coalition and the Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, both of which are policy advocacy organizations. Um, and that bundle is described really uh, thoroughly on the National Young Farmer Coalition website and is inclusive of many things that you may have already made use of as a young farmer, including the EQIP grants, including ATRA. Um, there's some asks for things that we haven't had yet, and there's some, you know, trying to get more money for things that have already happened, but mostly it's just trying to keep funding for the program's um, and staff time that beginning farmers rely on and making sure those don't get cut too much further um, 
there's been a lot of slashing and burning going on in the super committee and the appropriations uh, process around the farm bill. So tune into the Farm and Rancher Beginning, sorry, it's called the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Opportunity Act. Check out youngfarmers.org, and if you feel so inclined, please do, you know, practice that thing that's going to become even more important soon, but it's already important, which is calling up your representative and telling them who you are, what you do, you know, that you're employed in agriculture and that you care really deeply about these programs. And I think that's it from here. Signing out. Thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you, Severin. It was really good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for what you do. Talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. As a part of National Food Day, St. John's Bread and Life, Brooklyn's innovative and life-saving food service program based in Bedford-Stuyvesant, is inviting Brooklyn chefs and purveyors to learn about how the organization is marrying the procurement of old-fashioned, locally grown organic produce with the latest technology to deliver healthy, cost-effective meals to those in need. St. John's Bread and Life, located at 795 Lexington Avenue, will hold an open house on Monday, October 24th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Visit www.foodday.org to sign up for the event. This is a public service announcement from Sea to Table and Slow Food NYC. On October 11th, sustainable seafood distributor Sea to Table will join Slow Food New York City to host an event celebrating the bounty of local New York seafood. The event, Slow You, Sustainable Sashimi, will feature a tasting of four fish species from local Montauk waters. The event will take place on Tuesday, October 11th, from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Institute of Culinary Education, 50 West 23rd Street in Manhattan. Tickets are $25 for Slow Food members, $35 for non-members. Visit slowfoodnyc.org for more information about this event and how to get tickets from Heritage Foods USA. 14 family farms and over 50 restaurants have committed to participation in No Boat Left Behind, a new program developed by Heritage Foods USA, a meat distribution company dedicated to preserving endangered breeds. Without an end market, the majority of male dairy goats are sold into the commodity market or killed at birth. Dairy farmers are always struggling with feed prices, milk prices, and weather. Goats usually have twins or triplets, and for every female who will become a milker, there is a male buckling who will become a financial drain. It makes no sense that these males are sold into the commodity market or put to death when the United States imports almost 50% of its annual goat supply. Home consumers interested in participating can order goats through HeritageFoodsUSA.com. They will receive goats via FedEx, and home delivery is available for New York City customers. In addition to the goat, these packages will also include recipes and a DVD featuring interviews with the farmers, processors, and chefs demonstrating how to break down and cook goat. Again, for more information on No Goat Left Behind, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call Aaron Fairbanks at 718-389-0985.